0: following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. Listeners, it tells us in Jude... Of course, there's only one chapter, but Jude 1.4, it says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand, long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into assiduousness, license and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I ask our local listeners, what does that mean? What's happening here? What is, what is he saying here? Yeah, we, we do not know who God has marked and who God has not marked, but the translation of marked for condemnation means bear the mark of man, which is 666. 666. 777 is the perfect mark. It's interesting that those are the perfect gambling numbers. Where you get the big cash. If all sevens roll up. 666 is one number short of 777. Each personhood of God bearing a seven. So you have God as a seven, Jesus as a seven, and the Holy Spirit as a seven. The Antichrist is the one that has been given the rap, so to speak, of being 666. Those of you who are doing endless studies like myself on the end times, eschatology, you are consistently coming up against this, but I'm here to tell you today that 666 has nothing to do with Satan. It is the mark of man, and it's to prove to yourself and the world around you that you have fallen short of 777, and that's why the Greek definition of sin is falling short of the mark. Are you with me? So, falling short of the mark, what mark are they talking about that we're falling short of, and that mark is 777. It's the perfect scale. To reach perfection, 777, you will never be able to reach up and grab that bar, ever, if you're marked with the six. That's what that means. Now, we don't know who is marked for condemnation, which means condemned. That's the original thought of condemnation. Condemned. Stamped. You're going to hell. Damnation. So since we don't know who has bared this mark, he has given us four things we're supposed to watch for. You shall know them by their love. You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their deeds. And those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. This person asked me, do I believe I'm saved, indwelt? Do you ever question your salvation? And I said, yes, I haven't passed the last one yet. I haven't endured to the end. I'm not taking my last breath saying, as Paul said, for I have been faithful to the end. I haven't been as Peter saying, I have been faithful to the end or Stephen standing in a pile of rocks and they're stoning him to death and his eyes are opened and he's having a conversation with the living God while they're killing him. No, I haven't been there yet. But do I believe that I am saved? Yes, I do. Do I believe I have the indwelling life of Christ? Yes, I do. But see, we like to put salvation in a nice, neat little package. And then have the train master print it out as a ticket. We fold up that ticket and put it in our wallets or our purses. So, if anyone ever questions our salvation, we reach in and we take out our wallets and we pull that ticket out and say, see, on October 5, 1957, this is when I asked Jesus into my heart. Really? And you've been living like a devil since? What proof is this? Well, that's when the comments come, you're just judging me, you're, you know, whatever, And that's where, stay with me in this uh, supposed logic, that's when we needed a new kind of grace. So when you stand firm on the proofs of salvation in the scriptures, and you are addressing someone and being pretty tough with them in regard to, you need to give me your love. Show it to me. You need to give me your fruit. Show it to me. You need to give me your deeds. Show it to me. And you need to show me your endurance. Because what you shared with me so far doesn't check any of those boxes. So I can only assume one thing. But I cannot judge whether you are or are not indwelt. Here's where you're going to find you yourself personally are going to find whether you truly are indwelt or not. The inward fruit of your mind whether you're hearing God. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with handing out apples to people on the street from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It starts inwardly. The fruit that's in your mind You're hearing God and you're processing your own salvation and you know you're hearing God. You may not be one of these mature believers that are out there starting ministries. You don't get that the next day after you're saved. The fruit starts in here. So what do we have to watch for? Anxiety and restlessness in your mind when you hear worship songs, when you hear preaching, when you hear teaching, when you hear the, the word of God being read, or there's simply as one young man put it in front of me, I get anxious if the Bible is on the table. You see, those are the things you watch for. That is not indweltism. There's there's none of that in an indwelt believer. Even if they're brand new. Even if they're 6 years old, 7 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. You don't have that with an indwelt person. They may wrestle inside, but they are not anxious of having the life of Christ in them. And that's why Gregory's saying to take unholiness in a present holy environment and still resolve with holiness. It has nothing to do with you or whether God answers your prayers. It has everything to do with Christ in you. He is your answered prayer. And if you don't understand that, give me a call at 602-292-2982, and we'll talk about it. Four-year-olds can hear the mind of Christ if they truly were saved. You don't need to be a studied mini-theologian to hear God. So when a little guy like Evan shouts out the answer before I get it out of my mouth, (laughs) I take special note of that. The answer is in our youth. We know that. For today's children is tomorrow's church. Well, that also means that that's our greatest venue and field of deception, is our children of today. Because if you can get a youth to think they're saved because they have a ticket in their pocket, Satan can reprint that ticket like fake money and hand it out. I said to Jane just yesterday, my mind gets so overwhelmed if I even try to think about how many people think they're saved. And they're going to stand before the living God in full confidence that I Figured you out. And Jesus is gonna look at him and say, But but I but I don't I don't know you. Who are you? And why are you using my name? Why are you forging my checks? Isn't that what was I was supposed to do? When we have that slide hearing God, how how and what have you heard from God? You don't understand as your pastor. I am waiting for the birth of the voice of God to come out of you. Instead of talking about your dogs and your cats and your domains and your struggles with the domain, what about God, the voice of the living God that is in you? that wants to speak through you, that wants to cry out through you, that wants to worship through you. I know why Jesus walked on water. I know why Peter walked on water. He was so far beyond himself that all he cared about was to touch his blessed Savior out there in the middle of the sea, the stormy sea, But see, Peter, before he put a foot onto that water, he asked something of Jesus. 602-292-2982, because I want to dialogue with you on this. I am after the people this next year that think they're saved. What did Peter ask of Jesus before he put the right foot forward in that journey? Bid me come, command me, mandate it on me, just say it, and I will come. The reason why that that is so significant is there are so many people that are stepping out of the boat because they're trying to figure out grace in their own effort. And those are the people that jump out of the boat and sink to the bottom and Jesus got to do a little deep sea fishing of men to save them. But see, that's not where Peter was. Peter understood authority. Most young people today are clueless with authority. And the first time you speak into their lives boldly, they're like, I'm not coming back here. Some just are deceptive and quiet and say, I don't want to go. They're less honest people. The ones that step up and say, I'm not coming to your church. I'm not coming to your Bible study because I don't want to. That's an honest, rebellious person. The ones that are going to stand before the living God, stay with me on this, the ones that are going to stand before the living God and believe that they are saved because they've been forging the checks of Jesus Christ are the liars. They've been lying to themselves. They're quietly deceiving and going along with it. In the reality in their minds, they know they're going to hell. And they somehow think that they can present this package to Jesus, stay with me now, and he's going to believe them. How many are going to stand? Is it just a small handful that are going to stand before Jesus? No, it's the majority of the people that call themselves Christians in the world today. Whether you're seven years of age or 70 years of age. Saying you're a Christian guarantees you nothing. But having the love, the fruit, the deeds, and enduring till the end, that will communicate to Jesus. That's what it's about. 602-292-2982. If you think I'm judging you, I'm not. I'm trying to save you from the one who will. I appreciate those who contacted me this past week over that tough sermon last week. And I appreciate the two salvations I heard about. Because see, that's what it's about. Someone who thought they were saved for 30 years and realized they weren't. They had no point of entrance. Those of you who are listening to Jack the Journey, our new podcast for children, that in this tree of life there is a small little hole about the size of the eye of a needle. And the great wise old man was helping Jack understand, you're not going through that, that tree. You are too big in and of yourself to get through the eye of that needle in that tree. This is a specific moment in your life where you need to repent for being arrogant and big and you think you can figure it out. Repent of that, old Jack, and I will make you nothing so that you can get through the eye of that needle. Someone tell me what Galatians 6.3 says. He, he who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. And so upon that repentance, upon that moment of confessing out the reality, the honesty of the condition you were in, honey, I shrunk the kids. And you'll go through the eye of that needle without any effort. And when you open up on the other side of the tree of life, you'll be larger than life. But to get through the eye, you have to become nothing. Arrogance out of the seven things that God hates is mentioned four times. Arrogance is someone who thinks he's something when he's nothing. People trying to figure out grace and self-effort are producing idolatry. John chapter 1 verses 10 through 17. Who would like to come and read that passage for us today?
1: He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of the fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him.
0: The Lord is going to richly bless his word. He said that the word never returns void. So that's what we hope and pray upon this day. You may be seated. Our word for today, of course, is grace. We're going to continue in this thought, keeping in mind that grace equals God's redemption at Christ's expense. To be redeemed is not to be awakened. To be redeemed is that you take something of value and you go redeem it. So when you take something of value to redeem it, what are we talking about in earthly terms? Yesterday I was standing in line at the grocery store and a lady in front of me happened to get a, a $5 cash coupon on her little receipt thing that was good immediately and so she had already checked out she couldn't use it so she ripped it off gave it to me and she said redeemable right now I gave the redeemable coupon and got the redemption of five dollars that's what redemption is you see you have to take something and turn it in to get the redeemable value Redemption is through a life. It's an exchange. You're giving something and you are receiving something of value that you did not pay for. You see? But there are others who have used this word as payment. Let's take a look at our passage again. It says in John 1, verses 10 through 17, it says, He was in the world, and that's the world we're living in. But see, the difference is, is that the world was actually made through Him. So our creation video this morning was to reveal that to you. Now those of you who are thinking these are fun little cute videos that I'm throwing together, I'm telling you, sometimes even in our countdown videos, I am placing covert messages by the galore. Every song is hand-picked through prayer. Every video illustration is hand-picked through prayer. An enormous amount of labor and hours go into it to communicate our passage for today, for example. You see, the whole world and the universe was made by God. And to think about how God gave a name to every star in every solar system, is beyond this brain can figure out. So he reduces it to a simple statement. The world you live in, that I am now in, was made through him, Christ Jesus. Why is that significant? Well, I'll tell you why it's significant. First, it says ownership. And two, if you think that Christ did not have control of this entire world through all of the horrible, horrific things that the devil has done since the garden. If you're thinking that was beyond Christ's control, then you are being deceived. There's nothing on God's timeline that was not pre-put in place before the first man could have his first thought. And Jesus is making that clear. Now you see me. The word has come to dwell among you so that you may see the glory of God. Secondly, you need to understand that I made this world. Well, how could you make this world, Jesus, if you were just born a child in a manger in Bethlehem not too long ago? You see the questions that it raises? People try to start figuring out the simplicity simplicity, simple statements that Jesus made, and therefore they have to come up with their own theological definitions. But as many as received him, and what Aaron did this week is actually received him. It's like drinking from a cup. If you swish it around in your mouth and spit it back out, as many people do with the idea of being a Christian. There's no ingestion. They just like the taste and they're anorexic in the way that they live, which means they're not going to swallow it. Or they're bulimic. They'll throw it up right away. In other words, they'll say all these wonderful things on Sunday and on on Monday you hear about a complete different person. That is not the description of an indwelt believer. It's a confession of something else. So those who truly have received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You're in a brand new family. Even those who believed in his name, who were born not of the blood of man, but through what Jess was saying earlier about the first five chapters of Romans, was about the blood of Jesus. You see, if you do not understand the blood of Jesus... You cannot have this born-again experience. So when a three- or four-year-old says that they got saved, they don't understand the blood. They don't understand the cross. And in Romans 8, they don't understand what it means to live out righteousness. Can a three- or four-year-old get saved? Oh, yes. Is it common? No, it's not. Those of you fearful parents who get their kids saved... Whether it's through a bedtime prayer or whether it's through some scary moment in their life or whatever. And you're the one that is fearful that they will die and go to hell. The reason why they came up with infant baptism is because of the fear of the parents. So what the early church did is they transformed that demonic doctrine into a church doctrine. And so we dedicate babies. You see, the, the thinking behind it is the fear of the parents. They don't want their children to go to hell. So they push for an early salvation, which they have no clue of understanding the blood of Jesus. They have no clue of understanding their sins, and that they are larger than life, and that they are against the name of Judah, and against the living. They don't understand any of that. So the parents write them out a ticket and sign the name of Jesus Christ to that ticket. And the child grows up thinking that they're saved, or born again, or that they are a Christian, and the fact they're going to be one of these that stand before the living God, confessing they've done miracles, and and God only knows what else, and Jesus is going to say to them, but I don't know you. Be gone from me. Go to hell. God's the only one that has the prerogative to say, go to hell. And you're going to be standing there as a believer on the right hand of the living Jesus and you're going to hear, watch, your own relatives, some of you, most of you, your own children, be sent off to hell because you wrote them a ticket. You didn't consider the seriousness of salvation. 602-292-2982 I would love to dialogue with you. As Someone said to me recently, it took me a long time to call you because I knew you were immovable. I said, well, that's a confession that you called to manipulate me. So i got to ask you a question. Did you call to manipulate the doctrines of God? Because that's what I'm going to give you back. You see, people have formed their own doctrines in their mind to protect themselves from the inevitable consequences of their fears. That's what they do. That's why they have to figure grace out. And that's why Jesus was warning us through Jude that these people are marked for condemnation. They're not interested in true salvation. They're interested in covering their rears. And so thus, they bring this new definition of grace into the church for license to continue to do exactly what they're going to do when they walk out of your church. But I'm under the grace of God. Don't judge me. I'll say it another million times before I die. I have no right to judge you. I just want to save you from the judgment day. But see, I understand what Jess said earlier. Unless the Spirit of God reveals it to them, they're not going to get it. They just won't. They have to continue to try to figure it out on their own. So when we read about the full grace and truth that the Father imparted, Jesus said, I am the... I am the way, I am the... And I am the... You see, he's saying, I am grace. I am full of the spirit of grace. It's a part of his identity. So when we reference grace as if it's something we can analyze and figure out, we are missing out on his fullness. That he has blessed us with and truly receiving the life of Jesus Christ, to receive grace, life upon life. That life upon life is integrating the two identities as one. It's Steve's life, Jesus' life, mine dissipates, and becomes Christ's life. So here's our question. What happens to a human soul who constantly tries to figure out the grace of God? Well, our passage reveals it to us, is that they now reach in their pockets, and they pull out their wallets, and they pull out their license, and say, I have license to sin. Paul said, should I sin that grace may abound? See, Paul knew exactly what grace was. The Spirit revealed it to him. And he was communicating the same thing I'm trying to communicate this morning. But how many people got it? I don't know the percentage, of course. But I doubt that many really got it after he stated what he stated. Answer, there's no other way that we can get God and His grace figured out, determined, culturalized, or put into our world every day, and then go on to produce and formalize such a life. It's impossible. That would only replicate Jesus. When someone uses the term Christ-like, as someone did with me day before yesterday, on Friday, I stop them in their tracks. And I say, you know, I really appreciate what you're attempting to communicate to me, but I don't want to be Christ-like. That's not my goal, to replicate Jesus. My goal is to just let Jesus be Jesus through me. And that, I, that gives us a whole different understanding. He was offended. Two hours later, I got a phone call. And we have this little talk, and he states, You know, I'm really looking forward to being discipled by you. And then he gave the reason. Now, if the two are connected it's between him and the Spirit of God, but see, when someone is encountering you and you do not tolerate their deception, you do not let their lies fly by you because anyone who is throwing a lie is using that grace in such a way, and you say nothing about it, you are granting permission for them to use it tomorrow. We have to. We have to just whoa! Wait a minute. What did you just say? Well, I thank God. Wants us to be in the likeness of Jesus. Really? So we I need to figure out how Jesus walks and talks and acts, so therefore I can replicate that? Yeah. Do you understand what a confession that is? It's this confession. That's not a good place for them to start. This is not to say that we should not attempt to give explanation and definition of God's grace as clearly as we can for the proclamation of advancing the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, we are responsible before God to explain as clearly and as accurately as possible what, who, grace is in Jesus Christ. There is no more important message than that. Or your latent irresponsibility of passivity could assist people, and as I say, oil the pathway to hell. And I know I've done that with some people through my years in ministry, but I'm hearing God a lot more than what I used to. So therefore, I want to speak his words. I want to be a guardian of truth. Having noted the words used in the Hebrew and Greek languages of the Old and New Testaments pertaining to grace, and how the historic activity of God in Jesus Christ gives definition to the New Testament meaning of grace, it is necessary to warn self-proclaimed Christians about a common interpretive problem that has long propagated the misunderstanding of grace. I refer to the common practice of attempting to read the New Testament, the Christian concept of grace, back into the Old Testament. You see, we can't have gracialism until you mix law and grace together. And that's why some of the most grace-oriented people you'll meet are legalistic. They're mixing. It's like trying to mix oil and water. They're trying to mix something in with the blood of Jesus that is not supposed to be there. Such a retroactive application of grace, reading grace back into the Old Testament accounts, is an illegitimate introduction and violation to forcing the New Covenant truths back into the Old Testament law and its purposes. For the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So Satan is going to either put a heavy attack on law so people don't use it anymore, grace people, and everything is covered by the grace. He has to get rid of the law, because if he can get rid of the law and have people walking around, as some of you do, just carrying a New Testament Bible, I'll say that again. Some of you who are walking around carrying a New Testament Bible, you want to know where that movement came from? You're looking at it on the screen. If you just study the New Testament, you must examine if you are a part of this deception. The Old Testament is a story after story that leads up to the reason why the law was necessary to lead us to the cross. Then after the cross, it doesn't disappear. It now has its balance. And that's why I carry around a Bible that has the Old and New Testament, the Law and Grace. The Law is God. Stay with me. Grace is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's put inside you, so the Trinity comes together as seven, seven, seven. There are some who interpret all the new covenant truths such as grace, righteousness, faith, salvation, regeneration, sanctification, revelatory eschatology, or the end times, into the Old Testament interpretations. What they end up with is a Christianized Judaism in the Old Testament, which is usually extended as Judaized Christianism in the New Testament. Or even Christian Zionism. And you might think this is okay, but it's not good. If you're meeting Christians who are trying to integrate the law of the Old Testament, they start having dinner time like the Jews had. They start putting on their socks and shoes the way the Jews did. I don't know if you know their little custom about shoes. But they have this obsession over making sure that there's no evil dirt On the bottom of the soles of their sandals. And that's why shoes were left at the door. There's just endless, absolutely endless rules of Jewish living that they try to bring into their new covenant living and somehow try to balance it. And what ends up happening is if someone does have dirt on their shoes or walks in their house with shoes on or whatever, there is judgment. They're uncomfortable, they're anxious. They start getting upset. That's the evidence. The fruit, the actual fruit of what I'm talking about, of shoving the new covenant back into the old covenant, it's seen in that simple example I gave you. So how do you find someone who is bound by this deception? Christian Judaism? Walk in their house with Evil on the bottom of your sandals. And let's see how it goes. But that's only one of the rules. That's just one of the sundry rules. See what I'm saying? It's dangerous instead of living in the new covenant alone. They fail to appreciate the radical newness of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Who is the new covenant? The radical difference between Judaism and Christianity, which the early apostles took such pains to explain and help others to be free from. In so doing, they are diminishing or diminish the meaning of grace. They depreciate grace. They cheapen grace. They gut out the core of the very life of Christ and the importance of Jesus being grace. And the end result is Jesus fades into society. So songs become filled with light, life, happiness, joy, peace. You hear everything being sung except for the name Jesus. Jesus is fading into society because of this deception. People are more comfortable in saying the word God then they are Jesus Christ. See, there's an anointing and power that comes with the name of Jesus Christ as our songs revealed this morning. And when you speak the name Jesus Christ, it shakes the foundation under your spiritual feet. If it doesn't, warning, warning, Jesus not present. Oh no, we don't want to talk like that. So we spoon-feed these people a grace that grants license to sin so we can help them go to hell. But how many of you will actually confess that? I'll never get a phone call on that one. And if I do, I will be shocked. To have someone Just call me up and say, you know what? After hearing that sermon, I realized I was one of the ones forging those checks, giving people fake tickets to go to hell. Who wants to confess that? Well, see, the enemy knows that. That's why it's so effective. He knows you'll never confess it. Just pray about what I've shared today. This could change someone's life that is in your life. So the Old Testament falls into this category of Revisionism, historical revisionism. So the retroactive application of grace is a form of historical revisionism, revising history to make it say what you want it to say in order to justify the ideological pre and promote the particular agenda that you have about the idea of grace, which turns into universal grace. The method of study of reading into the Old Testament are all true biblical insights are already latent. It, It takes true established work of God and turns it latent or impotent is a better word. Do you know how much God invested in the Old Testament to make you feel guilty, to make you feel condemned? To make you acknowledge you're a hater of God? (laughs) Do you understand how much he's invested in the law to condemn you? To make you feel that one mark short, that one numeric mark short, six, six, six. He invested his entire being in the Old Testament. He made himself so large that every time you encountered God, you felt so small. And every time you came to the doorway of the temple, you just felt so small and guilty. And you were. Why? To introduce you to the cross. To get generations excited about this Messiah coming. Who's going to forgive us of our sins? Who's going to cleanse us with his blood? Who is going to have his flesh ripped in half so that we can enjoy the presence of the living God? And what do we do? We come up with a license-based grace to diminish the impact of the Old Testament, to turn it into an impotent doctrine of God. Congratulations, Emergent Church, you've done well. You've erased the potency of salvation through your fakeness of grace. But not this boy. Playing loosely with the history in this way fails to do justice to the biblical concept and progression in God's timeline, the historical, chronological timeline and sequence of God's mercy, setting up and leading the people to Jesus. In their subjective application, some interpreters often use circular concepts, which means you come back to the same place you started. There's no solutions in it. I mean, what better deception is there that you can get someone actually coming back to the same place? Have you ever watched a movie or something and they're lost in the desert and They have no clue what they're doing and they come back hours and hours and hours later and they realize that they saw this bush before? The hopelessness that settles in and they just want to collapse? That's Satan's goal for you gracilistic people. To come back to the same point going, you know, I don't have any more answers than I did yesterday. Maybe if I sing some worship songs, I'll feel better. Maybe if I have devotions, I'll feel better. You see, that's figuring it out. That's doing something to get something. That's how most people pray. I do something to get something. I pray something to get something. You don't know Jesus Christ because that's not how he is. We pray that someone else gets something out of our life or out of his life, which should be the same thing. But see, we're so used to treating God like a slot machine. We stick the quarter in and pull the lever. We're watching. We're what? It's rolling, rolling. And what are the numbers we're hoping for? Seven. 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 The tray fills up. That's what we're hoping for. Oh, boy. Lord, your children are a mess. In their subjective application, some interpretations often use this circular approach. The history of the Old Testament starts to turn into bad demonic doctrines like Gnosticism or Mysticism or Eastern religions, which are the foundational building blocks of the universal emergent church. And that's what we're battling today. So we either use grace... Christ's life to get what we want or we ignore it. Because how many people honestly truly want to grow in Christ? Because they know they're going to have to give up this present world. They'll have to give up their marriages, their children, their parents, their friends, their big paying job or whatever the case may be. To really, truly want to grow in Christ, you have to be broken. Most of us try to protect our existing Christian life. So therefore, it is extremely important that we recognize the sequence of Old Covenant and New Covenant, law and grace, and understand that grace, Jesus, is the unique expression of God's activity in and through the Son, Jesus Christ within the New Covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's our identity statement for today. Some have objected to any contrasting of law, Old Testament, and grace, New Testament. Their objection usually stems from an inadequate biblical understanding of both law and grace, along with theological beliefs of time, history, covenants, etc., which caused them to attempt to integrate law and grace. Using such unbiblical phrases like the grace of the law or the law of grace, they create translation confusion in their double talk of attempting to merge law and grace, obviously. To attempt to import grace into law and law into grace, is the misuse in merging the meaning of the terms as used in the scriptures. Such deceptive integration of law and grace inevitably perverts the gospel, the words of Jesus, causing one to devalue, literally depreciate and dissolve the testimony of Jesus, just fading away into society it not only depreciates the life and work of grace, who is Jesus Christ, in the long run, it's fading his doctrines of salvation, the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, and the great exchange, which secures the final work of the cross. Why are we listed with the Pentagon as a separate group than Christians? Do you know that there are secular military departments, people, that understand the exchange life better than most Christians? They list us as a separate group to be watched. There are Christians, and they could just be an American. And then there are these exchange life Christians, See, even they separate us. But that's what I get emails and text messages and phone calls the most of, and that is people who are bothered that I separate Christians from end to all Christians. And your own State Department understands it. Because they're speaking of some life form power that's inside them that gives them the power to do the things they do, whereas the Christians were not as concerned about them, they're lower down on the list. They're just Americans or they're Mormons or they're Jehovah Witnesses or they're, you know, church attendees or they're, you know, they have their list. It's where I get this information. They're not threatened by you Christians. They are threatened by people who have the power of the living God breathing through them. This is big stuff, guys. Although God's law and God's grace must never remain historically, must ever remain historically connected, they must not be theologically integrated. There's some of you listening today, whether you're in India or in a pocket of Africa, but somewhere, you're sitting there listening to this podcast, and you know that you know that you are a fake Christian You are lying to yourself, you're lying to other people. Some of you have been preaching and teaching most of your life and you are as fake as a plastic rose. And you're under conviction today. If you are listening and you have not downloaded the PDF, go do it. Read over the prayer at the end of these these slides. And those of you who do not have access to downloading these PDFs, and you receive this podcast by someone through an email, I'm going to pray this prayer. And you may be led by God to pray it with me. What I would encourage you to do is just to listen to the words first, then rewind and pray it yourself. And then I want you to contact me at 602-292-2982 and let me know if you prayed that prayer because I have some encouraging information, a workbook I can give you on our identity in Christ to help you grow. The prayer says this, I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that I am separated from you. I confess that I am an enemy of Jesus. I confess that I am selfish I confess that I am trying to be my own God. I confess every sin that is before me, within me, and me being the result of the original sin. I believe that I was born as a human into sin. I believe that I grew up in sin. I believe that I need to be transferred, translated, and moved out of this sinful condition. Therefore, I choose this day for Jesus Christ to enter my soul, to enter my body, to possess me through the Holy Spirit, to fill me up with the very life of Jesus Christ. I pray that I would be done, that this would be done right now as we are praying. I thank you for coming into my life and filling my life and becoming my life. I thank you for the power of the cross that my sin has been dealt with. I am no longer under the power of sin, but I am under the power of the law of the spirit of the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for saving me. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Those of you who have prayed this prayer, I look forward to hearing from you. Those of you who are confused, I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. And those of you who are angry because you've been challenged with this fake ticket in your pocket that you forged, or the forged tickets you gave your children, I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. But I hate to say this, at least my experience over 30 years of ministry. That is a group I won't be hearing from. Father, we want to thank you for what you've given to us today. The truth truly does set us free. And we shall be free indeed. Well, you know, Lord, I've come to realize every single time we say truth, we are saying Jesus. For Jesus has set us free. And we will be free indeed. Indeed. Thank you Jesus for being life which is breath of God. Thank you Jesus for being the method, the pathway that that tiny little hole in the in the in the tree, the living life tree that you provided for us to pass through and being the truth. There's nothing sweeter then realizing embracing that we are housing the life of you, Jesus. I pray as this message goes afar that it will bring them close to you, that it bring us to a deeper, richer understanding and walk with you. For those of us who have the indwelling life of Jesus, there's someone listening right now that's wondering, if they have a fake ticket father passing by the eye of the needle is only a moment and for some it's too late the thousands that'll die even as I'm praying this prayer is just too much for my mind to comprehend and to know that the lion's share of those thousands of people that are dying will never see you except for on Judgment Day. It grieves me. I pray we would all take this truth seriously and embrace it according to your divine will. And, of course, we only pray in the power and authority of Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we're going to be talking about the uh, contrast between that law and grace. So this can take us a little deeper and richer into those principles. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online
1: at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.